Welcome to FinCast, the Financial Integrity Network's podcast series. My name is Juan Zarati, chairman and co-founder of Fin. Welcome back to this podcast. In this episode, we will be talking about the Iran sanctions program, something that's been heavily on the mind of not just folks in Washington, D.C., but diplomats and policymakers around the world. Recently, Finn hosted a series of panel discussions among Finn experts to talk about a range of sanctions issues. In this episode, we talk about the Iran sanctions program, led by Chip Ponce, president and co-founder of Finn and former senior treasury official, and joined by Dave Murray, a vice president at Finn and also a former treasury official. You have an expert discussion on the challenges and complexities of the Iran sanctions program, especially as they take pride of place as a centerpiece of the Trump administration's national security policy. Have a listen. Why isn't the administration moving harder on sanctions? There's more of a military solution to this than most terrorist financing issues. Organizational structures as a key component for helping to develop confidence. White nights of illicit finance are a myth. They don't really exist. It's a direct attack on the, on the money laundering vulnerability. President Putin's reaction to any of these allegations in the past has been prove it. Good morning. Welcome, everyone. We're here. We're very pleased to be back with the ISCO community to talk about Iran sanctions. And to do this, we have one of the world's best sanctions experts with experience both in the industry, uh, with the Financial Integrity Network, and uh, for several years in government um, during a time when the United States was ramping up sanctions, considering and then providing significant sanctions relief on Iran, and then ultimately withdrawing. Uh, Dave Murray, who is the Vice President for Product Development here at the Financial Integrity Network and a great friend of mine that I've known for a long time, has a wealth of experience on sanctions, sanctions risk management, broader issues impacting financial governance, uh, illicit finance, and, uh, and, and financial crime compliance. So we're going to talk about Iran over the next several minutes, uh, an exciting topic on sanctions. First, we're going to talk about uh, sort of evolution in context. Um, the Iran sanctions program um, is, uh, is particularly challenging and complex now. How did we get here? Um, so what is the Iran sanctions program now and how did we get here? That's the first issue. Then we're going to talk about uh, what's a risk management framework to deal with Iran sanctions today. Um, third, we'll talk about trends and current developments, where we see the Iran sanctions program going in the future. So that's how we're going to spend our time here. Um, I want to turn to Dave and get his thoughts for on the first issue, which is Iran sanctions. What are Iran sanctions today? How did we get here? Um, walk us through that. Thanks, Chip. So from a U.S. perspective, Iran sanctions today look an awful lot like Iran sanctions did late in 2013, uh, because everything that was relaxed under the JCPOA has been reimposed. There's been some minor tinkering around the margins, um, so there, there, there are slight differences. Um, those differences are more relevant if you work at OFAC than if you work at a, at a global financial institution. I, I mean, really, the, the biggest change in the program um, between late 2013 and, and today um, is that it's a little bit easier for OFAC to target people who were engaged with, with sanctioned Iranian entities than it was before. 
Um, but really, I mean, people, I've heard people characterize that as the correction of a drafting error. So, you know, really minor changes around the margins of the, of the structure of the Iran program. So, you know, the Iran program from a U.S. perspective that we have today, it's really the same Iran program that we had in, that we had in 2013. Now, differences. Um, the biggest difference is that it's just the United States. We don't have a global coalition anymore. So, you know, the, the program that the EU has in place today, same program the EU had in place um, on May 7th of 2018, um, they haven't made changes to their program. Um, and in fact, they've tried to resist changes that the U.S. has made, um, and they've tried to blunt the impact of U.S. secondary sanctions on European entities but I think have realized that there's actually not much they can do to protect European entities that do business in Iran. Um, so, you know, when in, in early May of last year, as the president announced the unilateral withdrawal, there was a lot of big talk from European leaders and European foreign ministers, um, less so from European finance ministers, because I think they understood the reality right out of the gate. Um, so for, for European countries, there was a lot of big talk about you know, protecting European entities, you know, setting up channels so that they wouldn't have to rely on U.S. banks um, or any exposure to the U.S. to conduct business with Iran and everything would continue. But they pretty quickly realized that that was impossible. So what you've ended up with is a special purpose vehicle that's limited to humanitarian payments, really the kinds of things that are generally permissible for a U.S. person even to do, that you or I could do, um, you know, even though we're we're subject to the to the sweeping regime that's in place today. Uh, so you know, I mean, that's really the state of play with respect to with respect to U.S. and U and EU sanctions. You know, the other big change is I think you you have a very aggressive targeting posture from the United States right now, um, and I would say it's even more aggressive than what we had in place in the run up to negotiations with Iran, um, because you know you've seen this administration sanction every Iranian bank. Every Iranian bank is on the sanctions list in one, in one form or another. Almost all Iranian banks are subject to secondary sanctions. That was not the case uh, about six years ago now. And you know, you've even seen this administration talk about concerns they have about Iran exploiting the humanitarian channel to further sanctions evasion. And that was also something that we did not do in the that we did not do in the previous administration. So you know, even though we have a similar regime in place, I think that we I think that there's that there's more risk, and that comes from one the more aggressive aggressive targeting posture that the United States has adopted. Um, but two, it comes from from a difference between the a difference in approach between the the United States and everyone else in the world. Um, you know, when you when you have a situation like that where you have that kind of inconsistency in sanctions regimes and in foreign policy approaches, what you end up with are, are divergent risk appetites. So companies in one jurisdiction, banks in one jurisdiction, have a different risk appetite than banks and companies in other jurisdictions. Um, so, you know, whereas circa 2014, 2015, everyone was more or less in the, was more or less in the same place, and there were some outliers, and there were some there were some bad actors out there who were helping Iran evade, but really, in terms of in in terms of assessment of risk, appetite for risk, everyone was in roughly the same place. So there were a number of filters that, that Iran had to go through to actually successfully access the financial system and evade sanctions. 
now I think there are fewer filters um, because people are in different people are in different places now. Excellent, outstanding. Thank you, thank you, Dave, and and uh, uh, fully agree with what you've just said. I, I I might just add a couple of points, which begins to bring us into more of a risk management framework. Uh, the first is um, that there is likely going to be heightened traffic with respect to Iran for the reasons that you've said. Um, in a world where everyone has Iran subject to more or less comprehensive sanctions, there's not a lot of traffic. There's evasion. In a world in which Ara Iranian business is not only permitted but encouraged in, in certain member states of, uh, of the EU, for sure, and, and, and in other countries, um, and we have secondary sanctions for that activity or much, much of that activity in the United States or by U.S. authorities, um, you're going to have heightened activity together with a divergence of, of expectations. Um, but tempering that, perhaps, uh, are, are two factors that are, I think, worth pointing out, and you've, you've, you've alluded to them both. The first is the underlying real risks with respect to Iran haven't changed considerably. And so when you think about um, the multiplicity of reasons why the U.S., the EU, um, and others have sanctioned Iran historically. Human rights abuses have not really changed in terms of internal repression um, on the Iranian people. Um, terrorist financing uh, concerns continue to abound, particularly with respect to aggression in Europe abroad, whether it's Syria um, or Iraq, or even with respect to Yemen and regional conflict. Um, interference in Lebanon with Hezbollah continues uh, uh, seemingly unabated. Um, when you look at the money laundering concerns, uh, continues to be Iran continues to be listed um, by the FATF as a blacklisted jurisdiction for not having adequate AML CFT controls. So, you know these risks have not changed, um, uh, and, and owing to that, the risk appetites, even with allowance to do business with the removal of sanctions by by um, seemingly everyone other than the U.S., the appetite from from financial institutions in particular. Um, seems to have remained um, uh, conservative with respect to Iran. And so that, that's going to temper a little bit of what might, might be uh, understandably an, expect, an, ex, an ex expectation of, of heightened activity with Iran. Um, the second issue to, to, to point to is that um, that divergence um, is going to happen seemingly in particular areas of business. And, and that gets to uh, the customer base of the financial institutions in which um, there will be more aggressive I think, appetite to do business in Iran from certain sectors or geographies as opposed to the banking industry at large. And that is going to put more pressure, I think, on uh, the systems and controls and financial institutions that maintain a conservative risk appetite to identify instances in which their customers may be either deliberately or um, negligently doing business in ways that um, contravene. Uh, but the last thing I want to raise, that just following up on what you said, is the um, the uh, the SPV and the anti-blocking statute from from the EU and and fully agree that the, the frustration from from Europe with the U.S. walking out of the JCPOA was, I think, by by most accounts, uh, perfectly understandable. Um, and at the same time, um, that frustration not particularly um, relevant in many ways to. Uh, the picture of risk. And, and so therefore, even with a diplomatic frustration, for understandable reasons, um, a practical um, impact that's pretty muted. Um, one, because again, a lot 
of actors, particularly banks, never were convinced to go back into Iran in the first instance. And second, because even under a policy with the anti-blocking statute, um, that anti-blocking statute is limited in, in ways that um, respect the decisions of European actors not to go in um, for their own reasons. So pivoting uh, from, from those uh, initial reactions to uh, Dave's um, very helpful comments on the evolution of sanctions and how we got here, <clears throat> maybe looking at what is a risk management framework for dealing with this current state of play, um, given the dynamics that we've talked about? Um, how should a bank be looking at managing the risk in the environment with respect to Iran, uh, the underlying risk, and most importantly, the sanctions risk? Dave, what do you think? Well, I think that I think the first thing to be aware of is, as you mentioned, is just there's a tremendous amount of risk just setting aside sanctions with respect to Iran. Uh, you know, there, there's corruption risk. Um, Iran is a is a state sponsor of terror, um, and it, you know, I think from having gone through years of sanctions, you know, Iran's financial system has been wired to be non-transparent. Um, it, it's been wired to it's been wired to evade sanctions. And I think that's what you've seen reflected in the in the FATF statements that have that have been coming out consistently about Iran, you know, even since the JCPOA, and you know, continuing after the United States withdrew from the JCPOA. Uh, so there are a number of reasons to be concerned about Iran. With respect to the with respect to the sanctions, you know, I, the United States very quickly reimposed sanctions that had been that that previously had been. Uh, have been imposed over a period of over a period of years, and you know there was the, I think that resulted in a lot of cat and mouse with Iran as Iran developed ways to uh, ways to evade sanctions, or and then the United States developed new sanctions as a way to as a way to cut off the evasion. Um, now we've seen everything reimposed in in one lump sum, and you know of course Iran's going to continue to evade sanctions. I mean I've never seen a sanctions target ever. Maybe you have. Who's just said, oh, you know, we're sanctioned now. Um, we need to we need to give up on trying to access the international financial system, and you know, I guess we should just come to the table and negotiate and try to get rid of these sanctions. You know, that happens that happens eventually. Um, but you know, even when even when people are negotiating, they don't stop trying to evade sanctions. I mean, if, if you're sanctioned, it's imperative to try to evade sanctions. Um, so, you know, I mean, I I think the thing to the thing to really look for, because. It's hard for Iran to get into the financial system right now, is the evasion. And thinking back to the ways that Iran evaded sanctions in the 2010 to 2013 timeframe, and you know, I mean, really making really making reference and really really taking time to review and absorb the advisory that the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network put out <clears throat> last year as sanctions were being reimposed on Iranian invasion. That had a number of that had a number of Iran-related red flags in it. Um, and there are a number of other resources available on Iranian evasion, um, including one from Finn. Great reference to uh, some of the some of the excellent work that Dave and, and uh, his team have done here at Finn to uh, maintain uh, uh, awareness in, in the uh, international community about um, risks to include sanctions evasion by Iran, um, and certainly worth reading and, and perhaps more timely now than ever for the reasons that you've said. So, so that risk management framework is, is one that as you say, should be particularly attentive to evasion uh, techniques, typologies, um, and uh, in addition to having an antenna for customers that are not going to be as attentive to sanctions risk as 
the bank is itself. Pivoting from that risk management uh, framework into trends and current developments and where, where this picture is headed. Uh, what do we think is going to happen with Iran? Uh, the state of play has been highly dynamic. Um, and uh, where do we think it's going to go from here? We have an EU that is coming to terms with an anti-blocking statute that may not be as um, relevant as some thought maybe initially it would be. We have U.S. secondary sanctions that, as David has said, has, uh, have become very aggressively ramped up um, and with an enforcement posture that looks very strong. Well, you know, I think one of the one of the key things to think about is, you know, where can Iran, where is Iran doing business right now? And, you know, we have some idea of where Iran's doing Great business point. because there are some countries that have significant reduction exemptions. And those exemptions mean that those countries are allowed to continue to import Iranian oil. The money that Iran is to be paid for that oil goes into a restricted account, and the money can be used only for bilateral trade with the country that's purchasing the oil. Uh, you know, I mean, this is something that we saw Iran exploit to great effect in the in the during the last round of Iran sanctions, um, and there was a big trial last summer in New York um, for the Turkish individual who ran that scheme for the Iranians. Um, a very complicated sanctions evasion and and money laundering scheme. Um, so, you know, I mean, the places where Iran is allowed to do business, I think there's elevated, there, there's elevated risk. It may not be your customer, it may be your customer's counterparty. Um, so, you know, I mean, there's, there's, there's still going to be pockets of, of risk out there, and I think some countries are going to be more exposed than others. And then, of course, you know, the countries that, that neighbor Iran, um, those were favorites during the last sanctions period. Those Absolutely. Are going to be, those are going to be favorite countries again. Uh, you know, I mean, one thing that does seem consistent about sanctions evaders is they recognize right away that they, they can't conduct transactions in the international financial system from their own jurisdiction, um, but they don't want to travel far to visit their money. Uh, so they, they, tend to, they tend to go to their neighbors first. Great point. And, and maybe just uh, along those lines, um, and thinking about the neighborhood, uh, two immediate points of obvious risk uh, that we've talked about historically, uh, the UAE of Turkey, um, uh, Turkey a G20 economy uh, with uh, a lot of global banking subsidiaries, uh, areas of, of potential um, diversion or sanctions evasion risk for sure. Um, excellent advice looking at where Iran may be continuing to do business or where it may be particularly, um, uh, where the international financial system may be particularly vulnerable to Iranian um, business uh, are places to look uh, moving forward. You know, I think even if a, if a future administration decided it wanted to re-enter the Iran deal, I think it would find it had a very difficult time doing so. Uh, so the, the <clears throat> framework that we have in place today is really here to stay. Um, there's not a lot of headroom for new measures. Um, I mean, I suppose that they could, they, they can, you can always add measures, um, but the, the program is so comprehensive that, that, you know, new measures would largely duplicate what's in place. Uh, so the list will, the list will continue to grow. Um, it will probably continue to grow, grow quite rapidly, um, certainly over the next 12 months and probably over roughly the next 24 months. Uh, but, you know, I mean, the U.S.-Iran program is, is here to stay. Um, you know, it's just, it's hard to see a diplomatic path forward that causes Iran to come back to the bargaining table 
leads the same time soon. Right, yeah. right, and leads the leads the 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 P three. Hmm. Um, Fair point. Back and trust and trust the United States again. Um, so you know, I don't see a lot of international cooperation. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I think the, I think the, the legal framework of the regime that we have, I think that, that, that that's here to stay for a while. Um, and then we'll see the United States continue to be very aggressive with respect to evasion. Yeah. And, um, and just to, to maybe follow up on that point before wrapping, uh, also the underlying risks probably not going to change anytime soon, right? I mean, we've got, uh, uh, you know, the, the fundamental question of whether the Iranian regime can change its behavior in a way that addresses the underlying concerns that, not only the U.S., but the international community shares about uh, the prohibitive risks that we talked about at the top of, uh, of, of the panel, um, whether it's money laundering or terrorist financing or um, corruption uh, or, uh, or, or human rights uh, repression. These are, these are activities that we're not seeing change. And so absent sanctions, um, requirements, uh, prohibitive risks for, for most, if not um, uh, the entirety of uh, really the banking system. Um, so, so for those reasons, uh, I fully agree that, that this is a program that is got some legs to it. It's going to be here for a while. Um, I agree please, with yeah. that. I think there, there's one asterisk I want to add, which is that you could have real proliferation risk come back into the come back into the fold. Because remember, at the time the U.S. withdrew, yeah, it, almost everyone believed that Iran was complying with the deal. Yeah, um, you know. As things get worse and worse, and you know, it becomes clear that Iran really isn't driving any benefit from a deal that the United States is not in. Uh, they could decide to start to start building weapons again. Yeah, and there's a clock ticking as well. Right. So we're, we're uh, we are single digits away from Iran having a, a, a the ability to go back to uh, uh, producing a nuclear material, and um, so quite right that the proliferation risks uh, at best are suspended. Um, and, and for how long, no one really knows, um, given, given the U.S. walkout. Uh, summing up, so we, we talked about evolution in context, the Iran program perhaps being the most successful demonstration of the effectiveness of sanctions and creating the leverage, the economic pressure to bring Iran to the negotiating table. Also, um, demonstrating that sanctions alone uh, are, is never going to be an effective policy. It requires a uh, a diplomatic effort um, and other tools to um, to accomplish meaningful change and to sustainably contain threats, um, uh, but no question that the the pressure of the sanctions campaign effectively bringing Iran to the table for for a negotiation that that lasted for uh, for a couple of years in which uh, sanctions relief was uh, was offered uh, was not particularly capitalized on by the market um, and then ultimately um, closed with respect to the U.S. from walking out. On the nuclear deal, um, leading to a divergence in expectations, um, a raft of U.S. secondary sanctions, and uh, continued uh, real market timidity of uh, doing business with Iran. Um, then, moving from that uh, evolution context, current state to a risk management framework where uh, ISCOs continue to be well served. Thank you for listening to FinCast. We hope you join us for future episodes. Have a great day.